All right, folks. If you follow us on Twitter, you know that um, the Upford Network is currently doing an Indiegogo uh, fundraising campaign. And uh, folks, we are in our stretch goals. Yeah. We need your help uh, because what is happening now is that we're trying to make sure that we can give all of the cool equipment uh, that we are replacing to community centers in Montreal uh, who need it. And I will be honest, they are two awesome community centers that need it. Um, but this is also to make sure that we can offer programming to support them and learn to support the youth and the staff in learning how to use community equipment. This also means that we'll be able to have accessible space for people to record in the community. How amazing is that, Eunice? Which is amazing. Yes. So we are something uh, close to, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we are like about like $1,600 away from uh, being able to meet our, our next stretch goal. Um, and folks... Any scent that you can throw in this way, I think we'll appreciate it. Do it. Um, there are great perks. Uh, Teffer will make you a stuffed whale if you donate enough money. Teffer is an incredible, incredible stuffed toy maker. Um, so jump on that. Uh, there are awesome, awesome perks. And uh, yeah, send us your money. I think that was enough. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. I'm Caddy Diop. And I'm Yuna Song. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. We'd like to take the time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands that we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. Hi, Eunice. Hi, Caddy. How you doing? Yeah, we're finally um, doing an episode together, just us. Just us. Teffer has taken the week off after a year of recording weekly episodes. Much what needed a, rest. Yeah, what a what a feat. Um, so we salute you, Teffer, and uh, hope that we do you proud. So this week we read The Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Boulay. Bully? Boulay. Boulay. I'm going to go with Boulay today. Okay. And see how that sticks. Actually, Eunice, do you want to do a little uh, intro to the book? Do you want to do you want to talk about the story a little bit? Sure. So Firekeeper's Daughter is about a biracial um, teen, Donis Fontaine, who is kind of split between her identities of having a white mother and a indigenous father. And she is kind of trying to find out what her identity means, especially 
um, as an unenrolled tribal member. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the story is part about identity searching and part about the culture that she's grown up in, um, in the two kind of cultures that she's grown up in. But it's also a, a YA thriller and there's a mystery about um, what's happening in her um, Ojibwe uh, reservation that her family is a part of. There is a criminal investigation she becomes kind of enwrapped in. And yeah, without giving too much away, it's about this community and about... We were talking about... Um, really like resilience of culture and community, especially in this book, um, this particular indigenous community and what goes down. And I think that that's a great intro to it because it's true. We can't give much away in about this story because the thriller aspect is actually pretty cool. Like this is, this is, it gets pretty dark and uh, pretty investigative when Donna's becomes a, she becomes, she becomes a part of this investigation. And uh, how did you feel reading this book, Eunice? I really didn't really know what to expect kind of going into this book. I listened to it on audio and I have to say that was an experience. Um, It was just the narrator is amazing. Um, And so if you have a chance to listen to it on um, audio, I really recommend it. I think I have to say that it just came at a time where my heart needed healing. And I really did find it in this book. Like just to give a little context is um, my heart's just been really heavy. um, Just um, kind of after the um, event in Atlanta, the shooting in Atlanta. And I didn't even know if I could kind of like make it through this book, just knowing that it could be really like heavy topic uh, of a community that's also kind of struggling with, you know, um, its demons, if I can put it that way. But honestly, I'm really glad we did it this week. We read this book this week, um, because it was just so cathartic. Mm -hmm. And just uh, yeah, just reading through this book, I was, I felt like a heaviness lifting. And yeah, I saw a lot of myself in this book in ways that I really didn't think that I was going to. So yeah, it was great. I yeah, wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think that's really, that's, that's part of the reality as, as folks who read for a living, um, but also as folks who are part of uh, marginalized communities. And I'm glad that you found, you know, a a bit of healing in this book as well. Yeah, I thought it was so beautiful. I, uh, I read it, a physical copy, and it was just the cover was so enticing. There's so many bold colors on it and um, traditional um, indigenous art that's used. And it's just, it's very inviting. Mm. And uh, it made me want to open it and jump in. And I was sucked in maybe three sentences in. Mm -hmm. I lost an evening just like I got lost in it. And I, yeah, this, this, 
this book is is powerful. Mm. Um, and I think that it bears a, a bit of a, a bit of a content warning. Like this is not yeah. a light book. This is a book in which very serious topics related to criminality um, and related to the realities of uh, the Indigenous community are front and center in this book um, from descriptions of violence, uh, be it physical, uh, colonial, sexual, um, it's there. And it is not the easiest to digest at certain moments, but holy crap, this character of Donis is what a boss. She is so interesting. She's you know, a young woman who's finishing high school who has, you know, we we meet her and she's already walking this very, she's been walking this fine line for 17 years of her life. And I find that really fascinating because, you know, she's faced challenges in the past and we don't have to dwell on them. Um, she has an interesting kind of way of, of managing. She runs, um, she connects to, to a certain form of spirituality, but she also finds comfort in uh, science, which mm-hmm. I find really exciting. And she's also just a very responsible character who's also relatable. Yes. Like she's a bit standoffish. She's got some walls. She's not a hundred percent like jumping at the neck of anyone who gives her a bit of attention, mm-hmm. uh, which I found pretty neat about her. And she's just she's tough. There's something about a tough, yes, a tough female lead who knows where she's going, who knows who she is. Mm-hmm. That is so delightful. Yeah. And I have to say, like, I was not like this when I was 18. And it's, yeah, I love that um, Bule chose to have her be um, someone who is really interested in science, specifically medicine, um, and, um, but also kind of has, um, like, a strong spiritual background. Like, I thought that was so relatable. I love how she um, relates to each of her family members I thought that was a really big um, thing to like the relationship she has with her mother is very different than the relationship Mm. she has with her um, grandmother her uncle her um, aunt um, like all of these um, different characters it was such a rich um, painting of um, family And I really liked that you saw her um, kind of navigate those um, relationships. Oh, yes. And um, speaking of uh, of families, uh, I have to say there is nothing better than good auntie representation in a book for me. (laughs) Um, Because because. Aunts are important. I, yeah. I you know, I, I grew up surrounded by by a gaggle of aunties, um, you know, a, a adopted aunties mainly, and and I love being an auntie to all my kids, my 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 kids' friends. That's cute. Um, to my friends' kids and to mm-hmm. my nieces, and and this ability to have adults that are around you and that love you for who you are. Because that, I think, like, uh, Donis's aunt Teddy loves her to death. Like, she loves her, but she also needs her help. 
-hmm. And there's a very interesting dynamic that comes from the fact that it's very much, they seem to be in very much of a matriarchal kind of paradigm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and these women rely on one another to survive. Yeah. And, and that kind of, hit me in the guts because it also made me think of, you know, the, the, the murdered and missing women's commission in Canada and sort of the way that social, like that this is that our society isn't showing up yeah. for these indigenous women and that they have to, you know, there's a description at some point in the story of a, a blanket party, mm-hmm. which like, wow, Um, you know, it's people getting together and seeking justice for themselves because they can't trust the systems of justice that are in place. And I, you know, I, I kind of like squealed. It was this very delicious moment of like, there are other ways of doing things. Mm hmm. You know, and and anyway, so this beautiful relationship that she has with her aunt Teddy, and with her her cousins, and 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 that whole side of the family, just it made me feel at home in this mm-hmm. book. It yeah. felt very relatable, even though there are a lot of cultural references that I had to I had to you know do some googling. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, you know a lot of expressions and words that are you know, not written in English. And I thought that it was fun to kind of do the work and learn a little bit and see it turned into slang as well. Yeah. I think uh, overall, I'm just going to say there is not much that I did not like about this book. I really just like ended it and I was like, oh, I want to dwell in this book for a little bit longer. You know how when you like finish a book that kind of like, is so um, deep and you've had all these feelings and like (laughs) after you read and you just kind of like want to sit with it. This is one of the, this is one of those books. 100%. 100%. And I I was very excited to find out that um, this, uh, this book is going to be made into a TV series by the one and only Barry and Mitch, uh, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama are producing. Uh, uh, they have a, a the Netflix company. deal. Yes, their yes. Netflix deal, and they are bringing this show to TV. And I am very this book to TV rather, um, and I'm very excited uh, um, because the amount of um, world building mm-hmm. that happens in this book. Even though we are in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, <laughs> like this is not this is this is not a far cry from from our, our reality, you know. Mm-hmm. But I've never lived in an indigenous community, and mm-hmm. to to be allowed in and in such a descriptive manner yeah. made it really easy for me to relate even harder to the characters. Um, and I thought that, uh, yeah, Angeline Bully did an incredible job of creating an atmosphere that sucks you in. Mm-hmm. She really created a vacuum uh, for for my mind. Yeah. Hands down, the writing, I think, really is the thing that, like, draws you in in the beginning. Just even the way, like, it's set up um, with the four chapters. Um starts with uh like 
the cardinal directions um, yep. for the, each of the four, not chapters, um, the sections, right, yes. of this book. Just even with that, um, just kind of setting like that stage, just very poetic writing. Um, interesting things about storytelling too within the um, within the pages where um, Adonis uh, is the narrator. Um, mm-hmm. We're like in her mind. Um, but there's kind of like really, I think she does really cool things with um, where she, when we're in her mind, when we're, when it's like the dialogue, when it's the visions that she mm-hmm. has or the dreams that she has, it's just the language is just so vivid um, and it very, I think very intentional too. Right. Um, like of how, like what kind of things um, that the reader's, is supposed to know and the, what kind of things that reader is guessing. Um, and I really um, thought that it was great that it was a thriller. Like that was the genre um, because it really did like keep you engaged. Um, but it was just kind of like um, so much more than that as well. So um, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I've just, was in love with the writing i i am nodding super vigorously uh i fully agree i think i you know i i i read a little bit about this book ahead of time and Mm -hmm. what i loved is that you know my my sources for book news were all like don't look too much into this book before you read it Mm. um so in reading the first section you know i knew i knew it was a thriller but reading the first the first part as like okay like this is this is setting up like very north american teenager um Mm -hmm. you know no problem and i have to admit it sort of made me react the way that i reacted to the hate you give Mm -hmm. it really like that setup was that strong yep i think the hate you give is is you know the reference in terms of like (laughs) kind of setting up an idyllic world and then um you know n- knocking your head against the pavement yeah um and and this story does the same like mm-hmm. it, it it feels nice in the beginning and then you go quickly into feeling very uncomfortable yeah yep very very uncomfortable so there's a there's a lot of healing in this book um this is this is this is it's a central theme how do I want to phrase this? Like when we talk about healing, how do you feel Eunice about the fact that like there's the individual healing, but then there's the collective healing. Mm. Yeah. You know, like there's something very particular, um, especially with the fact that, that the character has is able, well is able, uh, you know, struggles with being half settler, half indigenous. Mm-hmm. you know and names the parts of herself that way um i didn't i didn't quite expect the arc of healing that she would be able to go through you know bearing that load from the get go mm-hmm. um but there's also the community goes through a lot in this story mm-hmm. and the community also needs healing yeah and i found that that was 
that was an interesting way to open the door to some discussions. Uh, hopefully there are some really amazing educators who are going to add this to, to their reading lists for their students. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was, I was interested to, to just sort of hear uh, how you, yeah, how you conceived healing uh, in this book, especially relating to uh, the fact that, you know, we've been through it, but you've been through it this week. Yeah, I think the thing that really stuck out to me was, like, why there was kind of this need for collective healing and um, response to, like, a community's grief and loss. Yeah, and, like, the similarities that I found was just kind of this, like, the weight of colonialism and um, like wrongs done to a community Mm. and how like we don't like yes there's individual trauma but there's also kind of like this weight of trauma that um, as like minorities as colonized people um, that you kind of feel and you know that it's generational as well Um, I feel like personally, I've just been wrestling with a lot of questioning of how like, um, colonialism and white supremacy have impacted, like what my story is, and what my community or my, um, like, cultural, like story is. And um, I was just kind of reflecting on that. And I think that's why this really hit home. um, Because you see the community really um, having this need, there's this need to um, confront this trauma um, for it, for it to keep thriving and going and growing. And just, I saw the need that of that collective grief and Mm. how to kind of overcome that um, and how powerful it was it was um, kind of represented in this, in this story, just how a community comes together to do that together. I think when you are a community that is kind of um, in that facing that type of um, harm that's being done um, to you collectively, I think you do need to have a way where all of the people in that community is the, um, have a way to like kind of deal with it and either move past or move on or you know to um heal from that yeah I mean I'm yeah I'm obviously still kind of like processing this um and I've heard so many people especially in light of recent events who have kind of like articulated that better than I have right now but um just like that really really resonated with me and just how kind of like deep this goes and how pervasive it is in the community when when stuff like this happens um and when we know stuff like this happens to our ancestors to um, like and it becomes part of the story that's kind of weaved in from generation to generation um, and I think I really felt in this book that something like that needs to be in place for a community to thrive mm-hmm. yeah a hundred percent yes <laughs> yes yes I oh yeah mm. 
Because, like, what it's one thing to know, like, what how a community is being oppressed or, you know, um, how a community is hurting. But I think um, it really is, it just says something when there are just systems in place or, um, like, ceremonies, rituals in place where people can grieve together, um, come together, and um, really, like, process all of that. Oh, yeah. The importance of being able to create a space for ourselves within our communities and to be able to be tethered to that and to be able to come back when we need it. Right. I think that I don't know how to say this correctly. Um, So forgive me if it comes out wrong. And also thank you, Tom, for editing me to help me look smarter than I maybe am. Um, (laughs) So in 2016, when uh, when Ferguson was happening mm-hmm. and and all of that, there was a lot of debate happening here. I mean, we're very far removed from from the events of Ferguson, both mm-hmm. geographically and culturally. But nonetheless, there was this incredible need for collective grief, mm-hmm. and there is something very powerful in like. I mean, you know, like every community, every cultural community, I guess, like it can be declined into so many small groups, mm-hmm. you know, and but that moment in that moment, we needed to come together and yeah. we needed to be together in closed space because we didn't want to be performing mm-hmm. our grief. Yeah. Right. Uh, yep. Thoughts and prayers and all that fun stuff. Um, and we wanted to be able to be angry without there being consequences. Yeah. And I've I remember there was a beautiful moment where uh, it was a group of um, indigenous and non-black uh, POC who cooked for that event. And they said, you know, we want to help. So here's food. And in that moment, we all felt so held by, by our fellow folks and, and feeling that care and that love and that reminder that, you know, ultimately, we're all in this together, mm. you know, and uh, I'm, I'm giggling so that I don't get overly emotional and, and, and get misty eyed, but, but that sense of solidarity. Mm-hmm that we feel in moments like this. I mean, I just wish we didn't need for it to feel like we were all on the verge of imploding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's a, maybe that's a conversation uh, with my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought what really was um, incredible about it was that because it's done in a way that really um, is based in culture Hmm. when so much of that gets erased when you're when you're when your community is um under attack uh, let's name it yeah um colonized under attack um when that erasure happens it's even more powerful that you're kind of getting into your culture and the generation before is passing down traditions and you even see some of that in the book too right Donna's like has a relationship with the elders in the community and you can also see that she's going to be passing 
down this like knowledge and um to her um her nieces Mm -hmm. um and you kind of see that um in the story itself so yeah it's this this book is powerful stuff i really have a firm belief that it's gonna open some conversations Mm. because i think because we're walking the line constantly through it between the good and bad the the you know the the dark and the light Mm -hmm. like if it's it's it really is a book it walks that it's such a narrow little path Mm -hmm. because this book could have turned into trauma porn yes so quickly yeah so so quickly like the amount of terrible no good things that happen in this book Mm -hmm. you know but it's not trauma porn and it's also not this story of like it's okay i can I can withstand it all. Yeah. You know, we don't fall into that trope of, of, of this like strong indigenous woman who holds everything by herself and mm-hmm. who, you know, who, 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 who saves everyone. Yeah. She is not, you know, the, the exception to the rule. And I yeah. think that that's really um, poignant. And it also, it brings us into it. Like, I mean, it brings us into 2021 real hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even though the story is set in like 2007. Yeah, I I really, this is what, this is what I want people to know when people question, like, do we need another YA about, uh, about a blank teen written by a blank author? Like, do we need another whatever do we need another hate you give do we need another you know like Mm. this is what I want people to like know that like this type of storytelling this type of like it can only really be written like like it's it's like the importance of own voices is really apparent when reading books like this oh yes because I think you just they like these authors speak the heart language right and really understand they understand the genre they understand what it means to have a story that's like kind of breaks down the tropes that that exist in and, and just kind of go beyond that in a way that we we need we need that um type of storytelling we really do. Also, that is like, in all honesty, I think that that's also how we move towards collective healing. Mm-hmm. Although I definitely have been thinking a lot about how do we heal within a system that oppresses us. Yes. Um, so yeah, but, but I think that the fact that, you know, Angeline Bully is, is an Ojibwe woman. Mm-hmm. And she is telling the story of her community. And that's a gift for the rest of us, right? I think mm-hmm. that's that's also the pleasure of reading and and maybe putting on like discovering a a, a young I guess how am I going to say this so that it comes out right a young intersectional anthropologist that is able to center outside of themselves <laughs> I guess yeah yeah um, but in order to create this these generations of 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 folks who are also going to keep fighting 
Mm-hmm. Right? It's not who are going to fight the fight, but who are going to keep fighting. They need to be able to see themselves in these stories. And like, holy hell, like, I can only, like, I felt represented in mm. this book as someone who's, you know, who's who's simply just lived trauma, period. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. And who is from a marginalized community that repeatedly suffers trauma. And and there is something familiar. There's um, I I also want to just note that there is an awesome moment in this story where we get to meet um, Donis's uh, uncle, uh, who is half uh, who is Ojibwe and black. And there is it, it. It's so short just this moment of explaining how challenging it is to cross the border when you're indigenous. And Donis has this thought of like, Oh, but my uncle, when he goes through the border, it's like doubly hard because he is both indigenous and black. Mm -hmm. And boy, does that suck. Yeah. And it's, it's done in such a way where I felt included. I felt like mm-hmm. I was allowed to to see myself as, you know, as as a settler, as a child of immigrants, like mm-hmm. people who who chose this place and and who want to build roots here by respecting the land that we're on and by respecting the yeah. communities whose land this is. So so it gave me the, a sense of permission almost to to dig more and to ask more and to to find points of relation between my West African, you know, way of of interpreting life versus mm-hmm. um, the realities of an Ojibwe person versus the reality of uh, of someone from Kenyanga Haga communities. Like it depends on on the folks, but. Yeah. But having permission to dig and having permission to say, hi, how can we like, how can we meet somewhere? Mm-hmm. You know, like, where is our point of relation and and how do we how do we support one another? Yeah, because ultimately that's what it comes down to for me. But that's also because I'm I'm realizing more and more that if I don't fight, I, yeah. I'm not breathing. I'm not living. Yeah. Um, the, there's a really nice place. Um, I find that dance and movement are very evocative in this uh, in this story. Mm-hmm. The place of traditional dance. I don't know your uh, entire uh, life story, Eunice. So we're gonna get to know each other. Hee <laughs> hee. Uh, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but do you have any? Um, do you have any like cultural anchors? As someone who lives multiple cultures um, and embodies them, um, do you have any cultural anchors that hold you down? Like for Donis, it's dance, right? Mm-hmm. Going to the powwow, dancing, taking part in certain rituals. Um, for me, with my culture, it's uh, food, 100% mm-hmm. food. More and more uh, music mm-hmm. uh, and also uh, fabric. There's something very intense for me about fabric. I think I have some sensory issues. Um, But those are my anchors. And those are sort of the things that allow for me to both like feel connected to a culture that I'm connected to by second degree, like through Mm -hmm. my parents. Yes. Um, But it also allows for me to stand kind of tall in my North American identity as well, Mm -hmm. because I also know a bit who I am from that 
Um, and I was wondering if you had any of those types of cultural anchors as well. Yeah. I think the easiest thing is definitely food. And I, and this is because my mom has really like committed to um, like cooking food and hopefully she passes it on to me and hopefully I can learn. <laughs> um, that's a whole nother issue, but um, <laughs> I can definitely eat it. <laughs> oh. um, but that's just, I think that's one of the things that, um, and like, I never really thought about it this way, but that's like one of the things that um, I think she just brought um, with her. Um, Cause my mm-hmm. parents are also immigrants so yeah, like, um, cause it's definitely not <laughs> like language, um, just all those things that like, cause you know, like, I feel like assimilation is something that a lot of, um, immigrants are faced with. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but somehow in our family food, um, survived that. And also, I mean, like evolved to. But yeah, definitely food. And it does kind of, your question makes me wonder, like, what are the things that kind of got lost in, Mm. in immigration, um, in, um, in assimilation? Like, what would my life be um, if my parents hadn't chose Mm -hmm. to immigrate? And like, you know, that's a whole nother thing. And, and then the other thing that, um, because we live intersectional lives, is um, (laughs) I feel like spirituality is Mm. definitely something, religion, definitely something that um, my parents passed down to me. And, like, obviously that comes with complications, too, where um, the reason that they kind of are also part of that religion is because of colonialism, because... (laughs) (laughs) Right, because uh, because there were some American missionaries or whatever missionaries, um, European missionaries that came to Korea, right, to bring Christianity. You know, like that's really complicated. Um, but that's the history of my family, um, and um, there's. I'm beginning to feel like there is definitely loss in that um because we know that there was probably trauma from that as well and that history is a little bit lost as well but that is something that they passed down to me and and that is something that does act um, realistically that does tie me to my culture um and their and um generational history mm-hmm. so yeah just <laughs> as a uh, as an adult I've had to kind of unpack that and um and ha- and I'm still doing that you know <laughs> for sure and I think that there's something really interesting because this like this book made me think a lot about um the author Layla Saad who uh wrote uh Me and White Supremacy mm-hmm. the workbook and um you know she she comes from a place of talking a lot about being a good ancestor and in the conversations that i've been having with 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 folks in in my surroundings i'm realizing that the more we unpack 
all of that intergenerational trauma, whatever it is, it feels like it forces us to shift a little bit the work that we're doing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like we're, we're unpacking and you, know, you kind of go like, oh, OK, like my family does these things because these things and these things and these things. And then and there are moments where I like to I'm not a I'm not a, a religious person, um, mm-hmm. but I feel comfortable talking about nature and forces yeah. and things like that. And and there is this incredible sense in me of like allowing for my ancestors to rest Mm. you know in like realizing that they fought for something and realizing that that the hardships Mm -hmm. that they've you know that they've weathered through and no matter how much my first world problems upset me Mm -hmm. hashtag no more salsa at the grocery store (laughs) 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 but like it's it's you know, it's nice because it gives them a chance. It's like I put them to rest almost and, and I try to keep the strengths that I may have inherited from them as well, right? Because yeah. uh, while there is incredible trauma, holy crap, they survived. They survived. Like, and that is yeah. that is something that drives me so much, mm-hmm. so much in life. To so, you know that, I, like, well, I'm the, produ- I'm the product of survival. Yeah. And at some point we got to make it thriving as opposed to, as opposed to survival. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry, I got lost in yeah. my own thoughts yeah. there. But going back to what you were saying about <laughs> dance, right? I, th- I think you were trying to, um, I don't know. I think maybe you had something yes. to say about that. I don't want to. <laughs> no, no, no. You are right. Yes. Movement, yeah. dance. Yes. Um, yeah. There was something very interesting also about the fact that you can tie it in with the fact that there's, four parts to this book, yep. you know, north, south, east, well, west, south, east, and north, um, and the four elements, and and all these things. There's something very, very beautiful about this, about the inclusion of movement, because it almost mimics the movement of cycles, mm-hmm. right? Like these, these, and there is movement in each one of the parts of these, of the book as mm-hmm. well. Right. Yeah. And uh, I thought that that was really interesting. Also, I really love the fact that there's bells mm. on 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 their uh, on the dresses mm-hmm. when they dance, and that like as they move, the descriptions of the movements of them were also very healing. It's very meditative, I guess. Um, and I found that really interesting. It's like a an alternative way of looking at healing, which you know, yeah, we need to embrace a bit more, I guess. Thanks for bringing me back to my original point, Eunice. We didn't as want I... that to get lost. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. As we sit here and therapize ourselves right. on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I have a I have a, a, a tiny a tiny gripe. Okay. With this story. Tiny gripe. Go ahead. It's not big at all. It's a picadillo. Where are the adults? <laughs> <laughs> And I feel like I ask this question very often. Yeah. But I feel like I think what I'm starting to need (laughs) is a subgenre of YA novels Mm -hmm. from the adult's perspective. Mm. Because I need to know why a a police force (laughs) needs a 17-year-old. (laughs) 
be a part of an investigation. Like, I mean, I feel like cops should go to school a bit longer than grade 12. I don't know. Yeah, that's my only gripe. It's my only gripe. Also, I'm really interested in the points of views of the aunties and the grandmothers. Yes. um, Because they are sassy AF and it is fun. Yes. But yeah, where are the adults? (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. But it just does. <laughs> this is a phenomenon. Like you were saying, this is a phenomenon in YA sometimes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel, Eunice, about the relationship to like oversharing information about a community? <laughs> because I think Angeline Bully gave us, uh, you know, opened a door into, uh, you know, communities that we don't necessarily all have access to, mm-hmm. obviously shows the good but also definitely shows the bad in in the community and was there a moment where sometimes it can feel a little bit like airing out dirty laundry Mm, yeah I I felt like there was a like a little bit of like uh I don't know I don't I don't know it felt maybe it's because it's the way the story progresses but there was kind of a interesting like yeah almost like voyeurism in the way that like outsiders to a community come in and then then also kind of leave Mm -hmm. um and like wondering what like why it was that they came in, why it was that they wanted to, like, investigate the community, or, like, um, yeah, um, like, the, mo- <laughs> the, mo- <laughs> that's the most cryptic, <laughs> it's the most cryptic little, like, I'm trying to say something without saying it, <laughs> I love it, yeah, um, uh, it's the nature of the thriller. You can't it's give the it nature away. Of the th- you can't give it away. Okay, yeah. there's a love story, though. Yeah. Donis has, meets a really handsome young man who comes to play hockey, and his name is Jamie. I mean, sparks fly from the first time they see each other. Mm-hmm. I like that love story. I thought it was interesting. It made me angry at times. Mm-hmm. It made my heart melt. Yeah. It made me hope for a sequel. <laughs> um, yeah. How do you feel about the romance factor? I think the way it was left in the epilogue, I think, I think was very, mm-hmm. like, believable. Mm-hmm. And it it did answer some of the questions that I had about the why, the whys. You know, Um, and just like the wonderings of like motive and intention Mm -hmm. without giving away too much. Uh (laughs) Listen, um, dear listeners, if you haven't understood, uh, Eunice and I really want to spoil this book. (laughs) It's really fun and like fun, dark fun, but it's really fun for folks who enjoy thrillers. Um, And I think that. Um, crime heads are going to love this. Yeah. But yeah, just read this book. It's so good. So, so good. I think it's still early. It's March, but it's the best book I've read 
this year so far. Oh, it's up there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this is gonna be on like the very top lists of the end of the year. Guaranteed. Yeah. Um, I think it's just is it's it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Run out, buy it, read it, or listen to it. Um, and I think that this writing probably serves itself to the spoken word so well. All right. Well, shall we wrap this up? Yeah. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyeahpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yeahpodcast. And individually, I am at the unicorn reads a book, unicorn with the E. Um, on Instagram. Uh, and I'm at caddy double underscore D. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shout outs, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our awesome patrons Catherine Reshi, Erica Stutchberry, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Ten Ho, Chantal Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, Emily Patton, and Emmett Cameron. Woohoo! I did it without messing up people's names, I think. Yeah, I think so. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> we have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. Yeah, get some. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. I think share this episode with everyone. Um, Everyone who loves books should read this book. Yes, agreed. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song, Jenny's Groove, as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by me, Caddy Diop, and edited by Tom Zalat and I as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. I'm October Jones, Hi, and this I'm is... I'm Fish with Legs. I'm a fish I'm with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs, starring me and my best friend... <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. (laughs) New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it. Bye! I'm Tom Zalatni, executive producer of the Upford Network, and host and producer of Upford Discussion, a podcast about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. But wait, isn't Up For Discussion a comedy podcast? It sure was, but things change. It's a food show now. And it's a very, very good food show. Every week, I dig into a different ingredient, dish, meal, or cuisine with help from friends and guest experts who know way more about this stuff than I do. Do you like food? Of course you do. You're a person. So you will like this show. Go listen to it. 
wherever you get your podcasts. Up for discussion. It's a food podcast now. Brought to you by the Upford Network.